so happy to be here this morning and be back in podcast recording land. We have a very special guest with us this morning, and that is Don Jansen. Don is the retired corporate director of animal health for the San Diego Zoo and Safari Park. And um, Don has served San Diego Global in various leadership roles from 1985 until his retirement as Corporate Director of Animal Health in 2016. He's led a team of veterinarians, nutritionalists, technicians, and hospital keepers, seeing to the health and well-being of more than, get this, 7,000 animals between the zoo and the safari park. He is the recipient of numerous awards, including the Emil P. Dolensek Award in 2009, and the Lifetime Achievement Award in 2017 from the American Association of Zoo Veterinarians. So quite a background there. And somewhere along the way, Don found servant leadership, and we're awfully glad about that. Um, Don has written a wonderful new book um, that we've had the privilege of reading over the last couple of weeks called Upside Down Leadership, and we're going to be talking about that book today. With us on the call, um, I didn't, I should probably introduce myself, I'm Carol Malinsky, Director of Content and Curriculum for the Servant Leadership Institute, and I am here with Robin Swift, who is the president of SLI. So Robin, would you just get us started and share a little bit about how you met Don? Absolutely. Thanks, Carol. Um, I'm so excited for this podcast. Um, you're all in for a great treat here to hear from um, a truly uh, wonderful servant leader. And he's written this amazing book around the stories of his life at the zoo and the uh, safari park here in the San Diego area. And I just wanted to share with you one really compelling aspect that I always remember about Don. And that's when I first started at SLI, I don't know, eight years ago. Don came to one of our public workshops and we met one another and he's like, yeah, I'm just learning about servant leadership. I've got this toxic team or situations of challenging uh, culture we have and, and off he went. As one individual just learning, studying servant leadership, came to our conference, brought more and more colleagues over time, increased his influence. And it just shows the power of one, which we always talk about. Like people are struggling, like how do I do this? We don't have the culture, how can I have an impact? So stay tuned here. We're gonna dig into that that question and you're gonna learn directly from a man who has done that. So off we go, Carol, take it away. Great. Well, Don, to get us started, give us a little background as far as what prompted you as a veterinarian to become interested in leadership? Well, that's a good question. I think um, I was uh, put in a situation that um, kind of, I was, I was a leader, but I didn't do so well, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and I needed something, uh, I needed to learn about it. Mm. What happened was uh, very early in my career, I was asked to uh, lead the veterinary team at the San Diego Zoo 
And I, uh, as most of us at that age are, uh, a little overconfident, you know, thought I could handle it. Yeah. And I really couldn't. I didn't have the tools. And, and it was, uh, it was kind of rough. But um, as it turned out, I did get an opportunity to uh, grow my department from the ground up. And I learned from trial and error what, what to do and what not to do. And it was a while before I discovered uh, servant leadership as, as an entity or as a, as a way of, of leading. Now, I wish I had seen it and found it earlier. Mm. It would have saved me a lot of trouble. But, um, but that, was, uh, that was the impetus for, for getting started with servant leadership. And on that note, I just want to read to the audience in the book, Don Wright, Zoo Leaders' Perspectives. Spending time and effort getting to know the inner workings of the whole organization can seem overwhelming and out of their comfort zones, but a talented veterinarian acting separate from the organization is like the left wing of a condor choosing to work independently. It's beautiful in its own way, but useless for the entire bird. So these are the treats you're going to get throughout the book with this analogy with animals, which I absolutely love. So tell us, Don, why servant leadership? Well, uh, that was that was an interesting concept of the uh, of the left wing of a condor. Um, it is uh, zoo veterinarians, and I think a lot of technical fields, and maybe even more than that, uh, get into a situation where their expertise is is important, and they get focused just on that expertise, mm -hmm. and they forget how it fits into the whole organization. And uh, when they do, they get isolated. And when they get isolated, they get frustrated that there is, uh, that they have a lot to offer, but they don't have the voice and, and, and the ability to get it out. So um, that's, that's really was the uh, impetus for um, getting into servant leadership. The, the idea that, um, that uh, we, can, we can serve others and that makes a lot more sense. So Don, what was your purpose in writing the book? Well, um, it, I, I found that not just our organization, but a lot of organizations, have, the veterinarians had this feeling of frustration and isolation where they, um, where they didn't have the influence in the organization that they thought they needed. And as it, as it turns out, you can imagine veterinarians are should be an important part of the operation of the whole organization. Mm. So um, we we I, I wanted to share some of the things that I learned over the years with others who um, maybe could learn from this as well and not have to go through the difficult times that I went through mm -hmm. in discovering it. Yeah, you were trying to serve. Yeah. Right, <laughs> right. And who was your intended audience? My intended audience was zoo veterinarians, and maybe other zoo professionals as well. Huh. Uh, that that's where that's where I spent my career. That's what I knew about, and so that's what I wanted. That's who I wanted to um, get this out to. But I think it has since since the book came out, and the the maybe the few people who have read it uh, from different walks of life have told me that they can see an application for these principles. And uh, in, in their work too, from from mothers and how they work with their kids to uh, 
um, software developers, how they interact with their, their bosses, to um, HR professionals mm -hmm. as well. So mm -hmm. I think it has application elsewhere as, as well. Yeah, oh, I would definitely agree. I, th I have thought over and over again, in fact, about your behavioral standards that we'll talk mm -hmm. about a little bit later, but the behavioral standards that you have in the book really can apply to so many situations, right. not, not just the vets. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's widespread, and we want to encourage our audience of servant leaders to pick up this book, and we'll give you more information where to get it. Um, and I just want to note, like Cheryl Batchelder wrote a great book called Dare to Serve, which her expertise in the restaurant industry, but the principles in her teaching is across all platforms, just like yours. So it's great to have yet a, another body of work for our, our audience. So Don, why the title Upside Down Leadership? <laughs> That, um, we, as I was writing the book, that, that term kind of came up over and over again because mm. this, you know, the kind of the default way that we have, have been taught or we think we should lead is the sort of the power and control model. Uh, that if you're the boss, you're the director, and you tell people what to do and they do it. Uh, but it doesn't work that way anymore. <laughs> it doesn't work well. And so, Servant leadership, I think, turns that upside down. It turns the the uh, organizational chart kind of upside down, and it turns uh, the the way we treat people uh, upside down. And mm -hmm. and and I think really it could be also uh, titled right side up leadership because <laughs> it really is yeah. the, the it is the right way to go. And mm -hmm. these days, with um, social media being what it is and, and kind of the leveling of the playing field, it's, it's even more important. But the principles go back ages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They sure do. Um, Don, you use stories in this book in such a beautiful way to illustrate your points. Why stories? Well, I was, was told, uh, I'm, I, I wasn't really into stories. <laughs> when I was working, but I was told that, uh, and I believe that, you know, people communicate really through stories. Mm -hmm. You know, we have for, for uh, centuries. And uh, that's the best way to explain something, is with a story. So the, the stories are, I actually have lots of other stories that I would like to have said, but they don't necessarily apply to the principles. So I, there were principles that I wanted to share and so I tried to think of stories that, um, some of them are very uh, everyday stories, some of them are dramatic, but they're just, uh, just stories that illustrate principles. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was my goal, is to have ones that people could see the principle in action. Let me give you one of my favorite examples. You talk in the book about the importance of, you had a young GM leader at the time who later became the CEO and when you had times of crisis, he would be present. Um, why was this so important from a leadership perspective? This was the story of Mandabu, the elephant. Yeah, uh, that, that was kind of a dramatic story. We, it was early in my career, we had a, a herd of 12 African elephants, a different herd than we have now at the safari park. Um, but they were thriving, they were doing great. But two of them got sick suddenly, and mm. quite sick. And um, I was uh, really concerned, and so were the keepers. 
one of them got better fairly quick with just supportive care. The other one did not. Mm. And she uh, continued to um, get uh, worse day by day. And we went to extreme measures trying to save her. But on the third day of treatment, um, with fluids going and all kinds of things, uh, she collapsed in front of us and died. Mm -hmm. And it was a disease called salmonellosis, which is fairly common in large animals and, and uh, it requires pretty extreme measures when it gets, when it gets uh, serious like that. And we all took it badly, you know, it was, it was like 11 o'clock at night and we've been working every day, uh, 24 hours a day, trying to save her. And we were, we were unsuccessful. I was felt particularly bad because we got a jump on it when she was, um, before she got really sick. And if I couldn't save her with a early starting on treatment, you know, I was disappointed. The keepers were obviously disappointed because they lost one of their prized animals and mm -hmm. they had a relationship with. Right. And we were in that kind of a mood and the general manager showed up that late at night. Uh, and his presence was, was um, made a huge difference and made a big impact on me. It, it validated the, what we were doing. He was not there to criticize, he was there to make sure our needs were met, mm. uh, physically and emotionally, and that uh, he supported what we were doing. And that, um, that in itself changed our, it didn't just improve our morale, it really um, made us feel like we were doing the right thing for the animal and for the organization. And uh, he's conti continued to do that over time and modeled that for others as well. And That's a great example. Yeah, isn't that great? I mean, they set a tradition when they did that, and it's just amazing to me. It's so much of what we talk about, the Institute of Behaving, the talk. You know, right. you're watching the leader, and he didn't have to say anything. He just showed up, right? I right. mean... He might have had, you know, comforting words, would have you, but the main thing was his presence. Yeah, it, it, and he, he's not not someone who says a lot, mm -hmm. but it, just having him there uh, made it feel like what we were doing was important, even yeah. though we were unsuccessful. Yeah, it's a wonderful, important story, Don. So as you went through putting this book together and uh, going through the stories, what, what's your favorite story that you include in the book? Well, um, I think it, it's, it's uh, well, the, the story has, has some background. Uh, what, what I loved the most about being a zoo veterinarian was um, getting my hands on animals. <laughs> because we get to see them uh, in a way that most people don't have any opportunity to see. Mm -hmm. uh, we see, you know, the... I can see the tongue on a, a nectar-feeding bird and how specialized it is for, for uh, uh, taking nectar. Uh, we see the, uh, see the inside of the stomach of a Duke Langer that ha is adapted for uh, eating leaves. And it's just amazing what the diversity of animal life is. Mm. And, um, and they all have their, their special things that make them special. So my story is, um, is, is, again, kind of a commonplace one, but uh, we were 
walking or we were driving out to a, at the wild animal park to a, a field immobilization where we were going to be uh, shipping and mobilizing the animal for shipment. Just a very routine procedure and it was uh, me, a keeper, a technician and a student and we came out into one of the exhibits which is really cool you know it's like the caravan safaris that they have at the park. Yeah. We get to do that every day yeah. and see <laughs> animals and di doing different things and this day we saw a uh, ostrich male displaying and they look kind of foolish. They flap their wings and <laughs> wave their neck and sit down and, you know, and so the student made the comment, you know, we all kind of chuckled and the student made the comment, they're not the smartest thing around, are they? You know? And we all had to agree, but I thought, you know, that's kind of an unfair statement because uh, we're judging them based on our strength, which is presumably right. intelligence, whereas their strength is speed and size mm -hmm. and strength. If we were to match up with them on those, we would look pretty foolish ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, that makes, it, when you look at it in terms of your teams, we often do the same thing. Managers tend to judge people based on their strengths, what they've been able to learn over the years or are, are uh, strong at, and don't see them from their strengths. And, and so it's, uh, it's, it's kind of an unfair judgment that we tend to make. But it's human nature and we have to be intentional not to um, follow that pattern. Yeah, that's a great lesson that the servant leader becomes more self-aware um, therefore more aware of where their mind's at, what they're focusing on, and in that case, just being aware that, oh, I'm prejudging, whether it's an animal, a person, you know, I'm, I'm prejudging one of my team members. You know, what are their strengths that I might be able to accentuate and would add great value to the team and the organization? Yeah, we, uh, we do some of this work when we teach the behavior of add value to others we ask people to look at what are their strengths and what are their skills and to do it on the basis of telling a story from their past mm. as an example and having other people in the room identify what strengths that person displayed through their story. Right. So it's really, really interesting, but, but you're, what you said about managers judging from their own personal strengths really hit me because I think we do that all the time. Yeah, you have to be on guard not to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good way yeah, to put it. for sure. Well, let's turn for a minute to people. And you wrote a lot about relationships with people. Don, why is that important? Well, relationships are um, long-term, right? We have relationships and and people, um, the people we work with, uh, we depend on those relationships to get things done. And um, mm -hmm. so often we focus on getting results, and, and that's because that's what we're there for. For our jobs, it was maintaining the health of animals, and that's an important job. And the, the, that's the result we want to have uh, happen. Um, but it, just focusing on results. Uh, isn't uh, necessarily going to get you the result you want <laughs> when you're working with people. So um, I guess that, the way I put it, uh, situations are temporary, 
but relationships are long-term. Mm -hmm. And uh, those long-term relationships are really what we need to focus on. And as managers or leaders, by focusing on the people first, the results will come, uh, generally. And um, that it's not to put less of an emphasis on results that are certainly important, mm -hmm. but putting, putting uh, efforts on people. And I think in a crisis this comes up um, most. And that example, that we, the story we were talking about with Mondago the elephant, uh, was, is a good example of that. It was a crisis, it was a situation. He could have come and told us, or, or tried to second guess, you know, what, what happened, what could, couldn't you have done something different? Mm. Uh, but by focusing on the people first, it, in a crisis, they will solve the problem for you. Yeah. And so often, I, um, you know, as you get older, you, you have, you think you have the answers, <laughs> and people come to you, and it's like, oh, great, I can give them my answer, you know, fix the problem. Um, but if you, by doing that, you're kind of robbing them of the experience too, and the ability to learn, and and the opportunity to be uh, developed. Mm -hmm. Developing leadership is is a big job, big, very important point, part of a leader's job. Mm -hmm. That's such a great defining moment. A leader always has that choice of diminishing others in the team or encouraging and right. equipping, right? In that moment, you can also just take that team right down in a second. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah by, by your own behavior of what you say and your approach toward difficult situations like you're describing. So with the importance of relationships, Don, um, did you have a mentor that helped you along the way? You know, I have had a ton of mentors. <laughs> I think I've been fortunate that all of my bosses were, uh, were good mentors. They, um, they uh, were, they did, helped me grow all the time, all of mm -hmm. them. So all my bosses were, but I think I have to look back to my uh, veterinary training and um, uh, Dr. Murray Fowler, who is, those who are zoo veterinarians know the name immediately because he is, if, if anybody could claim it, he's the you know grandfather of zoo medicine. Mm. He was the, um, developed a program at, at UC Davis where I went to school, it was the first program for zoo animal medicine. He was one of those larger than life figures and um, interesting and I was lucky enough to uh, work with him so uh, just uh, and this is just a quick story about him we were we would go to the Sacramento Zoo which is near UC Davis uh, and, and uh, every after uh, couple afternoons a week and on one of those trips coming back he said we're gonna stop at a farm and we're going, what? You know, <laughs> this, is, this is zoo medicine, not farm animal medicine. Um, but there was a, a, a lady who wanted him to come look at a horse. Mm -hmm. And he stopped and looked at the horse, and we were thinking, this is, this is not what we signed up for. You know, what is he doing? Mm -hmm. There's plenty of others who could come and take care of this from Davis that are horse specialists. And, but this lady wanted to see him, and he tried to make it a learning situation for us. And, most of us just wished it were a zebra. <laughs> but um, but I, I could see the loyalty that that uh, 
client that lady had to Dr. Fowler because he treated her well uh, and even though she could do nothing for his career you know he, yeah. he, he had already achieved everything and uh, he she wasn't too she was important enough to him even though she wasn't important to us mm-hmm. and of all the things that I, I don't remember anything that happened at the zoo that day but I do remember how he treated that lady yeah. so mm-hmm. that that he was a servant leader before I knew what a servant mm-hmm. leader was well Don one of the really key points I think that you wrote about in the book was giving up control and that giving up control actually leading to increasing your influence. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, uh, almost a counterintuitive yes. concept. You think that the leader, you want to take control and show, um, show your authority, and that's how you get things done, that's how you get influence. But in my experience, it doesn't work that way. At least it didn't in, in for, for uh, zoo veterinarians, and I think that's probably true um, universally. But I, 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 I know it's true for zoo veterinarians. And the way it works for us is um, we have something to offer. We know, and we want when when there's a decision to be made, we want to have control mm-hmm. over that decision because we want to have the right thing happen. But often those decisions aren't ours to make, and. Uh, we wrestle for that control with those who really do have, have the responsibility for that decision, and uh, and you you become a, becomes a wrestling match, and guess who loses? It's the animals that you're trying to mm-hmm. that everybody wants to take care of properly, um, because when people are are at each other, uh, things the care doesn't go as well. So. What we came up with was um, to try to um, let go of that control and, and take the role of, of advisors and, and where it's not our decision to make, but, but take the role of advisors and, and be professional about it. So we have, uh, we have something that we can offer, give that, off, give that advice, uh, how to handle the case or how we think uh, it should be done. and. Uh, provide uh, uh, a recommendation and support the decision that's made. That's, mm-hmm. how, that's the advisor role. The de- if you're the decider, your role should be to seek, it, uh, to, to seek that advice mm-hmm. and, to, um, and to take responsibility for the decision. If those, if those two roles are done properly, uh, it can go very, very well. If they're not done properly, it becomes that wrestling match where things don't go so well. Mm-hmm. So that's why when I say give up control and you can gain influence because if, if you do, if, if you aren't wrestling for it, people are tending to listen to you better and you, you will have that influence which is far more important in the end than having control. Mm-hmm. Great point. If you give up control, you can gain influence. And we're always talking about, the, you know, leadership is influence. Right. So that's a wonderful point. And, you know, when you were talking, I remembered you've worked with one of our great coaches and trainers for many years, Rodney Jackson. And he's always giving your example of, you know, you, people come into your profession, like loving to work with animals. It's the people that are the problems, right? 
Yeah, that's a great line. So, Don, the animal care team has a specific set of uh, behavioral standards. Can you share with us how those standards came to be and maybe give us an example of how they're, they're used? Sure. Yeah, they, I think they're very useful uh, in, in any kind of situation. And, and the way it came about is um, one of my hospital managers came to me and said, you know, we're, we're um, asking people to do things but we aren't telling them what what the standard is. We're not give, We don't have any reference point. We're, uh, we just criticize them when we don't like what they're doing wrong, <laughs> what they happen to be doing, and it's not fair. So, uh, you know, you're right. We need some standards that uh, we can all agree upon. And so we went out to develop those, and we used um, uh, the zoo's code of conduct as our mm-hmm. foundation. And they were seven um, principles that, or seven, seven standards really, that we made our own for our department. And we um, put our own wording into it and, and put some um, questions to ask ourselves to see if we were following them or not, to make the behavior specific. And, uh, and so we used them uh, when I was there um, to uh, get people back on track. Mm-hmm. when they were Important. off track mm-hmm. and also to acknowledge people who were doing it the right way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it was helpful um, and, and we didn't do it in isolation as managers. We, we came up with some uh, basic ideas and then ran it through our teams and uh, tried to make it um, everybody's document, not just top-down document. Did you use it um, like with your new hires as your new hires came yeah. in as well? Yeah. In fact, I think that was one of the biggest benefits from it, mm. that people, as we interviewed, we, uh, when we got to serious interview level, we would go over those mm. with them so they knew what kind of culture they were coming into. And if it wasn't a good fit, maybe they would recognize it that way. Or if it was a good fit, it would just remind them that, that this is the standards that we expect. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're, they're nothing onerous. They're things like, um, you know, watch how you say things and be respectful and, and mm-hmm. uh, remember you're leaving a legacy and things like that. Yeah, yeah, they're really neat. I, I really enjoyed reading about those. Um, so, this is here's the really important question. How can we get this book? Oh, uh, right now it's available through the... Um, Gift, gift stores at the zoo and the park, and also online at shopzoo.com. Okay, that's shopzoo.com. The title. And the title of the book is Upside Down Leadership by Don Jansen, DMV. It's a zoo veterinarian's journey to becoming a servant leader. So, yeah, get this book. <laughs> Gotta get this book. That's a command and control. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Don, can you tell some of the you know main takeaways for your book for people? I mean, really, what you set out to to have people walk away with from you know organizational influence and, and things like that. Yeah, I, yeah. There there are some things that I think um, I would hope people would would see at the end of reading a book like this, and that is that uh, that 
you're in as a as a employee of an organization, taking responsibility as a leader. Uh, it, what you want is influence in your in your organization. Hmm. And as you mentioned, influence is really the, what leadership is all about. And uh, having that influence is is um, is pretty. I think what people really want. What gives satisfaction in a job and gives you the sense that you have uh, contributed uh, rather than just running over people mm -hmm. to get your way, uh, which nobody, no, nobody thinks they want to do, but it becomes a default if you're not paying attention. So organizational influence is one of the big things. The other is to recognize that uh, anybody can be a leader, uh, and, any, and, and you don't have to have the, a position of uh, authority to be a leader. In fact, um, you know, Robert Greenleaf, who invented the term servant leadership, one of his stories is about a man who was uh, a leader in a group, but he was not, he was actually their servant. And, and uh, but without him, the group fell apart because he didn't have, they didn't have the leadership. So anybody can be a leader and I think some people get frustrated because they want a position of authority because they can't do anything without they can't make changes unless they're they're in a position of leadership. Um, but that's not true. Uh, anybody can be influential if they follow the servant leadership principles. Mm -hmm. And then um, the last thing is um, that I hope people get out of this is that uh, good leaders grow leaders. They, they, um, they work with others to develop them to be leaders as well. And uh, that, if you can surround yourself with leaders, that's great. And if you can retire with great leaders uh, behind, I think you've done a good job, and, uh, or lucky. And in my case, I was lucky to have a bunch of good people that I could say with satisfaction, these are good leaders that I'm leaving behind, and, and they're, they're well, they've done well. Mm, great, that's great. Well, Don, it's been a joy to talk to you today. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with? Um, yes, I do. Uh, I think that um, leaders should be looking not just at the here and now, but uh, what their legacy will be, and, and to, to decide what, uh, what you want people to say about you when you retire. Maybe that's a year from now, maybe that's 30 years from now, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Think about what you would like people to say about you. And then work intentionally to get there. And I like to think about it as a path and a destination. The path, the way to do it is through serving others. And um, the destination is uh, that broad influence in your organization and really standing up for what is good and right. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's the allure to me of servant leadership is that it provides a, a, a way to get to what's good and right, not just what's, uh, not just what's uh, selfishly good for you. Yeah, those are wonderful. Thank you, Don, for those final thoughts and just encouragement that you know anyone can be a leader leadership is influence you can be a great leader by following the servant leadership practices so 
wonderfully and creatively outlined in um, Don's book, Upside Down Leadership. And you can get this book again by making a trip to the San Diego Zoo. That's great. Or <laughs> what go a great to the idea. Safari Wild Animal Park in Escondido, right? You can get a book there. But if you can't make it for a visit, I know they'd love to have you. But if you can't make it for a visit, you can go to shopzoo.com. That's shopzoo.com. Pick up a copy and get some copies for your colleagues and friends, Upside Down Leadership. This is a wonderful book. You can tell I'm a little excited about this book, but when they come <laughs> along, they're jewels and, and we love to share them. And we want to thank you, Don, for just all the years of knowing you and how inspiring you've been to this team to just see the influence you've had. Um, we were at a uh, management meeting at the uh, Wild Animal Park recently. Art gave a talk there and they shared your book and everybody was just so excited to receive it and this is a wonderful gift you're giving and leaving for your own legacy so congratulations and thank you for um, just all of your wonderful work you've done and continue to do it's great and we're so lucky to have you here today on the podcast so thank you and thank you for everyone uh, for listening today thanks Carol thanks everyone and once again this is the Servant Leadership Institute podcast signing out. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We wanted to let you know about some great new content on our website. To know more about what services SLI offers, go to the resources section of our website. From workshops to foundational servant leadership training, we have many ways to help you on your servant leadership journey. Also, visit our web store to find great tools like implementation booklets, books, and behavior cards. So head over to www.servantleadershipinstitute.com to check it all out. Thank you once again for allowing us to add value to your day.